0: Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be with you guys. Um, I'll be in the book of Philippians, so if you want to turn there. Where did this go? Did I just throw it off? It's getting lost. Okay, sweet. Try and get my hair out of the way. I'm going to cut it soon, I promise. I promise. I got a girlfriend, and and then she was like, you know, that changes things. There, hopefully that'll stay. (laughs) Um, Philippians chapter 1, I want to talk to you guys about gospel happiness And uh, it's something that I'm really passionate about, Um, and a lot of times we don't really associate the word happy with the word gospel. We tend to associate it with the word joy, Um, and I kind of want to try and make an argument and make a case that maybe they're one and the same thing, Um, and maybe you already know that, but hopefully we'll learn some new things, be encouraged by some things, be convicted by other things. But we'll start in verse 3, Philippians 1, verse 3, and read to verse 11. So let me read that, and then we'll pray. and in the the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is your word. Um, It has power as it is going it is the truth. I pray that we would accept it into our hearts and our minds this morning that um, the words that I say would be spirit and truth. And if there's anything that's um, confusing or anything that's wrong, would you just uh, remove that from our hearts and our minds? Would only the truth resonate? Um, And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So... I want to give you a little bit of backstory on what's going on here with Paul. And it can be very hard for us today in our lives and in our situations to understand what was going on with Paul personally and physically in this situation. Um, But the Apostle Paul, I'm sure as you know, finds himself sitting in a jail cell. Um, And really what a jail cell for him was a house um, that he was paying for and renting with his own money so that he could be under house arrest uh, in prison. And uh, so Paul is living in a one-room home that he is paying for under house arrest by the Roman Empire. And it's all because he had continually proclaimed the message that Jesus was king, the king. And back in that day in the Roman Empire, if you made that claim, you were swimming directly against the prevailing powers of the day. When and if you said that Jesus was king, you were saying that Caesar was not. And so the Apostle Paul had preached that message so boldly that he found himself shackled in prison under house arrest. He had sat in jail for two years already at this point in time, and he was put under, uh, excuse me, he was put on a boat to be put in jail for two more years in the city of Rome. And why is this important? Why am I giving you all this backstory? I'd love for us to think about Paul's mindset, where he is sitting under house arrest. In prison, Because it was a prayer that Paul had had throughout his entire life, throughout his entire ministry, that he wanted to go to Rome to preach the gospel. And God would end up answering Paul's prayer, but not in the way that he had expected. He would end up preaching to them by writing a letter to them from prison. And so Paul has taken three missionary journeys, um, which was probably completely unheard of in that day. Um, he finds himself now bound to a Roman guard at the end of the book of Acts. Luke gives us a taste of Paul's life uh, in prison in Rome. This comes from Acts twenty-eight verse sixteen. It says, "And when he came, excuse me, and when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier soldier who guarded him." And then later at the end of the chapter, it says he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. And without hindrance. Again, that was Acts 28. So Paul finds himself for two years sitting in a jail in Rome. Can you imagine what must have been going through his mind? The loneliness that must have rushed over him each day? Can you imagine a man whose life's mission was to carry the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth? He now finds himself bound in prison. How heavy and how disappointing that must have been. I think we sometimes forget that even uh, key figures in Scripture were humans like us. And that's why I'm painting this picture. Paul must have experienced the feeling that everything that he was created for had just been ripped from his hands. Because it was Jesus himself who had appeared to Paul and given him this mission. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been um, emotionally in a state like Paul's right now? feeling like that the thing that God created you for, the thing that he put you on this earth for, designed you for, even miraculously spoke over your life, maybe, was taken away from you. The beautiful thing about this picture, though, is that if you've spent any amount of time as a Christian, you know that God loves to use moments of extreme opposition. God loves to use extreme opposition in our lives to bring us an uncommon clarity. So Paul is sitting in a jail cell, and he begins writing letters. He writes to Ephesus, he writes to Colossa, he writes to a guy named Philemon, and he also writes a letter to the church at Philippi, which is where we read from this morning. And it's one of the only letters that Paul writes that he doesn't have a strong rebuke in. It's a very encouraging letter. In fact, Paul references joy in this letter 16 times. And it's a letter to a church that 12 years earlier, before this was written, that he had a chance to plant. And this letter is powerful. It has the ability to, to cut through the noise of our lives today. Look at verse three with me as we go into the text. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Now, joy is a really interesting Greek word. It's charis, it's spelled C-H-A-R-A-S. And it means joy, happiness, gladness, merrily. It's a word that has a ton of different translations that you could easily put in there and read it as, making my prayer with all happiness. And you can go, wait a minute, Paul, we just established that you're sitting in a jail cell, emotionally distraught, lost of of your entire mission, it seems. We're not really allowed to be happy from jail, jail, right? We can have joy in jail, but can we really be happy in jail? Can we be content in prison? this idea of happiness being different from joy really intrigues me, um, especially since I've grown up at Grace of Anne, because truth and doctrine are so valued here. They're really important, and that's something that's been instilled in me, and I care greatly about those things. And I also want you to know that I'm taking a leap here. This is, in a way, my opinion. It's supported by other people's opinions, but it's my conviction. It may not be everyone's, so hopefully this doesn't get me fired. But um, let me tell you where this idea comes from, because it's, it's actually a pretty new idea in the grand scheme of history, this happiness versus joy thing. Followers of Christ would have been perfectly happy using the word happy up until the beginning of the 20th century. In fact, if you go back and read some of the great ancient theologians, some of whom I'm studying, I'm in seminary right now, uh, like Augustine, Spurgeon, Luther, even Calvin, what you're going to find is that they were very committed to happiness. They had no problem with writing about gospel happiness. But something shifted at the start of the 20th century with the church, and people started to say things like, God's committed to our holiness, but he's not committed to our happiness. And I want to be clear. Here's the problem with making that distinction between joy and happiness. First, it's very rare that scripture makes that distinction. Like I said, that Greek word can be translated as happiness, and it is translated that way in many texts, like uh, other versions of the Bible. But first, um, excuse me, in fact, depending on your translation, it might be used in that text. But a second problem is that you, and, and I think this is a good one, it's not better than what scripture says, but this is a good one. Um, the second problem is that you and I were created for happiness. And we know it. Every decision that we make is, is made through the lens of, will this eventually make me happy? That's why we want the next iPhone. That's why, why we want a better car. That's why we want nicer clothes. But what we've done as Christians, as Christians is we've said that there's something deep down inside of us that we're just going to ignore and we're going to bury it. But the good news is that that mindset was never a part of Jesus's message. Yes, Jesus said very hard things like, come and follow me, take up your cross and die. I'm not naive to those texts. But there's a gift of God disciplining and going his children through pain. And there's also the gift of joy and happiness in our relationship with Christ. So you are wired for happiness. And part of my goal in teaching to you this morning is to redeem this idea of happiness in our lives, of joy in our lives. Man's primary purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Happiness is not something that the world owns. It's something that followers of Jesus owns. And here's why I'm passionate about this. We've made this false distinction, in my opinion, between happiness and joy, and really what it's been is an excuse For us to not walk in joy and in happiness, we'll go, We have joy, you just can't see it. It never shows up on our face, it never comes out in our lives. We'll say things like, Joy is not dependent on your circumstances, but happiness is. And I think that's insane. I think that's baloney. The fact that Jesus has purchased your eternal freedom by his blood, forgiven every single one of your sins, and made you holy is a circumstance that you live in right now. It's a reality in your life if you're a believer. When we say happiness is dependent on circumstances, I say yes, and we have a great circumstance. We are the redeemed people of God. We sometimes push it off to the theoretical and it never has any impact on our lives, but the gospel is so much better than that. The Declaration of Independence has this claim, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that word always gets me, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's deep down inside of us, everyone is chasing it. It's part of our wiring. The problem is that we live in a world and in a culture that has gone about chasing happiness the wrong way. It's left us with this deep inside of us knowledge that things are not the way that they should be. We live in a culture that's obsessed with the chase for happiness. In fact, in the year 2000, there were 50 books published on the subject of happiness. In 2008, there were 4,000 books published on happiness, and it's skyrocketed every year since. Harvard offered a class on happiness, and they had over 1,000 of their students sign up to take it. You can hop on your iPhone right now and go to the App Store and find a whole section devoted to happy apps. I don't know if you guys know what Spotify is. It's a, a, music, a way to listen to music um, that lots of people are into. I'm sure you all do. But you can find playlists like Happy Summer Beats, Good Vibes, and Have a Great Day. Louis C.K., an often offbeat comedian, says, Everything is awesome, but nobody is happy. People are longing for happiness. They're longing for joy. They're longing for contentment. And in contrast, you have the apostle Paul writing from a jail cell and going, I pray with joy. Extreme opposition gave way to uncommon clarity in Paul's life. Everything happy about his life had been stripped away. But Paul's tapped into the gospel secret. He's found something that has allowed the scales of his life to tip from grief to happiness. He's found something that has allowed the weight of the gospel to hit his life in such a way that it absolutely transformed him. Here's what he's going to say all throughout the letter in different ways and with different illustrations. His one message is this. The weight of worldly grief cannot diminish the power of gospel joy. The weight of worldly grief cannot diminish the power of gospel joy. It cannot touch it. And Paul, all throughout this letter, is going to write, this is from Philippians 3.1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice, be happy in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Philippians 4.4, 4. rejoice in the Lord always. Be happy in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul has one supreme message that he wants the Philippians to get. God freely gives resurrection power and joy and happiness in the face of persecution and heresy in our lives. And so Paul says, I want you to live with joy. He mentions it 16 times in this letter. Why? Because you and I were created for it. Because it's hardwired into you. Randy Alcorn in his book, Happiness, says, whether or not we're conscious of it, since God is the fountainhead of happiness, the search for happiness is always the search for God. I want to address a few reasons that you can have joy in any circumstance just like Paul. Here's the way he continues. Look at verse three through five, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul in the Philippian church had this unbelievable partnership in the gospel. And when Paul reflects on how he saw Jesus proclaimed as king through their lives, it brings him joy. It fills him with joy. He looks back on a church who has supported him who's reached out even in their own neediness, and they are still giving to him while he's in jail. They partnered with him financially. They partnered with him emotionally. Now, I want to make a distinction. There's a difference between friendship and partnership. Friendship you can have with people who you share time with and you share interests with, but partnership is with people you share mission with and share suffering with. Those two things unite people quicker than anything, mission and suffering. I've, uh, I've been working in senior high year-round, part-time for three years. But uh, before that, I worked two more summers just as a summer intern. So I've been on the, the Colorado youth trip that the senior high does six times. That's every single year that they've done it, I've been on it six times. And I've seen groups of these high school students, high school students, who had no, no clue who each other were going into this trip, come back a family. Because they were worshiping together, they were growing hearts for mission together, and they were even suffering together. That's the kind of thing that Paul is talking about when he says in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He feels so strongly about them. They were in it together. His soul and his heart were so intertwined with theirs that it gave him joy even in jail. Do you have people you can think of like that? Do you have people in your life where you just praise God for them? You can't even describe what a joy it is to be partners for the sake of Jesus. In verse six, Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. What a joy for Paul to be sitting in a jail cell, to be confined, knowing that God is not confined. Paul is going, I'm confined by this jail, but I know that God isn't. And I think so many of us live less than happy lives because we think our salvation and our sanctification is up to us. It's up to our work. It's up to our accomplishments. It's up to our good deeds. It's up to our good teaching. It's up to our good obedience. And Paul says, that's garbage. In fact, the gospel says that's garbage. Your salvation was started by God and your salvation is carried by God. That's enough for Paul to say, I will rest securely, God, in your divine provision for me. What God starts, he finishes. We don't start things very well. We'll start a book. um, We'll start a series on Netflix, but we don't always close them out very well. Um, At least I know that's the case for me. Paul is claiming the opposite of God the Father. He's committed, not just in the lives of the Philippians, but in your life. If you're a Christian, he's with you, he's for you, he's holding on to you. Two applications from verse six. First, Because God finishes what he starts, you can live with extreme, unadulterated, crazy confidence in God. He's not going to let you go. Don't take my word for it. Take this text's word for it. Second, if it's true that God finishes what he starts, then the best is yet to come. This world is not our home, so stop looking for ultimate joy and happiness from it. God is carrying you, and he's going to do what he's promised. We can look to Jesus, who's the Founder and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, as Hebrews 12.2 says. Look at the end of verse 7 from Philippians 1. For you are all partakers with me of grace. We have both tasted the goodness of God in a way that transforms us in every step. Paul can be happy in jail because he knows God finishes what he starts, and he can be happy even behind bars because he has partaken confidently in God's grace in his life. This is the story we find ourselves in, you and me. And if we don't view this as a real circumstance in our life, then it won't make a real impact. It won't change us. You are the beloved of the Lord if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are the one who went off and squandered it all and came running back, walking back to the Father before you had a chance to even say that you're sorry he embraced you and took you in. You're a partaker of grace and if you're a partaker of grace, can I encourage you to train your heart to partake of grace? To remember that you are the redeemed, that you are the beloved. If that's true of us, and it is, along with the church at Philippi, you are saints. People who have been called out of darkness into the light so that you might proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Your identity is no longer sinner you, along with the crazy, messed up Philippian church and all of their problems, are saints, as this text says, made holy. Look at verse nine through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. That means that it may surpass, that it may overflow, that it may be just ridiculously above and beyond with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. So Paul has claimed that you can have joy in the midst of any circumstance. We'll close this way. How? How can I live in this gospel happiness? First, because you have a God you can rest securely in. Because he promises to finish what he starts. His faithfulness will never be derailed by your failure. First, because you have a God who you can rest securely in. Secondly, because you have partners. Because you have partners who you have linked arms with, linked hearts with for the sake of the gospel. Thirdly, because you get to taste grace on a daily basis. Because you get to taste on a daily basis that God's grace is real, that it's good, that it's now and it has the power to change your every day. And fourth and finally, because you have a clear pathway. You have a clear pathway to living the life that God designed you to live. If you want to live with joy, live in the way of love. That's what Paul would say. He says it in verse nine. My prayer is that your love may abound more and more. Embrace the calling to love. A.W. Tozer said, the people of God, I love this quote, the people of God ought to be the happiest people in all of the wide world. People should be coming to us constantly and asking the source of our joy and delight, end quote. Does that describe you? Many of you uh, knew my father, Chris, who Jim referenced at the beginning, and he passed away two years ago from ALS, and if you didn't know him, he was the kind of person you could talk to for maybe 30 seconds, and you'd be talking about something uh, through from Scripture or, or about Christ or Jesus, anything in his life. And uh, one of my most vivid memories was of his 45th birthday. Um, it was, uh, we were in our house, we had some friends over and um, he said something that I'll never forget. He, uh, he had a, uh, if you had seen him in his last couple of years, he had a breathing mask on and um, he had tears streaming down his face as he said this. I'm trying not to cry as I say it. Um, he said, I would never change having ALS. I understand that there's a space and a time where the happiness and joy of the gospel is mixed with the reality of difficult and painful things. But Paul has found the secret. He says, listen, what the world gives in the form of grief cannot outweigh the power of the gospel. Where the gospel is prominent, happiness is imminent. Where the gospel is prominent, happiness is imminent. So I want to encourage you to learn to preach to yourself the gospel and soak up the promises and the treasures that can only be found in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being so good to us um, despite our sin, despite our our lives and the things that we go through. I thank you for um, for this time to be together with these people. I pray that um, that you have spoken clearly, that your truth has rung true in their hearts. Um, that we wouldn't be a people who are just going through life um, simply satisfied to just get by, but that we'd be a people who live in gospel joy, in gospel happiness despite our circumstances, because we have a great circumstance in Christ. Thank you for what he's accomplished for us. Um, would we live our lives in spite of that, uh, in, in, in the joy that comes only from that, in the peace that only comes from that. Only you can do that. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to be able to do so? And it's in your name that I pray, amen.